Welcome to Casting Nets, a real podcast about not a real, fake one, not a fake one, a real life about real life and living faith. I am Pastor Dave Rudot, one of the hosts. I am here with my brother, Pastor Will Harley, uh, who is here. We, we both of us have school has started, and it's such a nice thing to have our kids not around us all the time and uh, off and learning and having a plan for their education. And with that being said, we have a plan coming ahead for Casting Nets Pod. We are uh, going to be finishing up the pastoral epistles. Uh, that's uh, uh, Titus uh, 2 and 3, and then also Second Timothy, which only has like four chapters. And then after that, we are going through the book of Leviticus. And that you might think to yourself, why would anyone want to spend any time in Leviticus? Uh, usually when people read through the Bible and they start with Genesis, Leviticus is the book that they just, it all falls apart. They just... Uh, uh, just don't have the uh, the patience to get through it. Well, we are going to get through it with you uh, in maybe a month or two. So that's a long-term plan. But today we're looking at Titus uh, chapter 2. Titus, our troubleshooter. And in Titus chapter 2, we're going to have another trigger warning, uh, another uh, conversation about slavery in chapter 2. But it is an interesting take on slavery that we haven't talked about before in First Timothy. So I am here with uh, Will Harley, and as we do have a conversation today, as we go through God's Word, it's awesome to go through God's Word together with a brother pastor and just uh, throw things against the wall, but we do need to uh, have a disclaimer. So Will, would you mind doing our disclaimer today? So really our disclaimer is it is just two pastors talking and having a conversation about the text, Um, and there are going to be things that are probably going to maybe make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, maybe have to go back and, and look at the text yourself and say, where did they come up with that idea? And that's okay. Uh, Be a Berean and dive yourself into the Word of God. Um, We will uphold the doctrines of our church, but the opinions that we share are not necessarily the opinions of our calling bodies, uh, the churches that we represent, nor of the synod in which we are a part. Uh, That does not mean that we are not held accountable to the scripture. So if there's something that you don't like, something that is offensive to you, something that is is that just just doesn't sound right to your ears, bring it to us. Um, This is an opportunity for the brothers and the sisters and and those who are found in Christ to have a conversation. And so bring it to us. You can reach us at castingnetspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us within our churches. Um, Guaranteed, you'll find us in our churches every Sunday. But definitely you can find us throughout the week also in our churches as we are working in the office or as we're visiting other people. So please uh, don't hesitate to have a conversation with us. And if there's something, and, and I know we have a plan, and I'm just going to say this, not part of the disclaimer, but but I know we have a plan of where we want to go. But dear listener, we're making these podcasts for you. So if there's something that you're like, you know what, I would really love to hear about this talk to us about it so that we can get it in the hopper and we can we can and and get something out there for you that that's going to be pertaining to where you're you are in life and where you're walking in life so we definitely want to take the opportunity to do that so um that's it for the disclaimer if you don't like it uh turn us off come back later listen again calm down it's just a podcast uh the real world is is not within the confines of your two ears um it is it is out there in the world in which god gives us to live
We mentioned last week that Titus is one of those guys you don't know much about. Uh, you don't. He doesn't uh, follow Paul along with him on his missionary journeys. He just seems to come out of nowhere. Um, but he is also someone who Paul respects a lot. And in chapter two of Titus, if you would give a title for the, cha- if I would get to give a title for the chapter, uh, it would be doctrine lived or doctrine taught and lived. Something that uh, it's a reemphasis to us and to myself that uh, doctrine isn't just something stuffy, isn't something we just learn at the seminary, but it is actually something that is lived. Well, you know, and 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 following that same line of thought, you asked because um, you 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 came up with a, a kind of a a model of where we might want to go um, for these these sections for today. And one of the things at the very last, you said, "What's your favorite favorite verse?" And and I have to bring it up now because my favorite verse, especially for chapter two, is is very verse one. Um, and that's my favorite verse of chapter two, which is, "But as for you, speak what is appropriate for sound doctrine." Um, I think that that brings in the highlight of what you're trying to say is the summation of of this verse uh, or this this section of of Titus, sound doctrine and and speaking what is appropriate. So in other words, um, I, I take from that uh, the the encouragement of Paul to Titus, make sure you got good words, right? Um, that that even though you might be having sound doctrine and might you might be practicing down, sound doctrine, make sure that the the things that you're speaking are appropriate words, um, because words matter. What I really appreciated about Titus is that he's Greek. You know, he doesn't have the same uh, training as the Apostle Paul, who's was studied under Gamaliel and and knows his Old Testament backwards and forwards. Titus, his uh, educational background is is a mystery to us. So as Paul is encouraging. Uh, Titus in that sound doctrine, he is also emphasizing and respecting Titus that he does have that sound doctrine to begin with. So you have the both and, right? Not just that Titus needs to learn sound doctrine, but continue to teach what is in, in accordance with sound doctrine. Well, and and I think you have, and, and maybe, it, I guess when you look at Titus, that's one of the things that, that that's maybe up for, um, Maybe a little bit up for for some debate as to how much background Titus has. Um, I think what we would say is is a fair assessment. Titus is not a Hebrew scholar um, because of his Greek origins, right? He's not a Hebrew scholar, um, and so the idea. And I think this is where you were kind of going. The idea of a non-Hebrew knowing the scriptures is like, <gasps> like really, you know, this is this is, but but. I think what we're seeing here is is definitely the power of of the spirit working through the word. Um, he might not be the Hebrew scholar, but he could have been a child of the Septuagint, you know, uh, reading it in Greek. Um, he could have been, well, he is definitely a child of of the ministry, uh, where where because of the ministry of the apostles, because of the ministry of those faithful to Christ and His teachings, he has come into this and he knows what is right and wrong, and he knows what the what the gospel is and the good news of of Christ. So you have this 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 uh, tension that we have between um, do you how much do you have to know right to be able to do the work. Of of the pastor, um, and none of us would say, none of us would say that. Okay, I, I pick up a Bible and now I'm a pastor. Uh, we wouldn't say that. You have to know something, and and that's assumed in his comment um, in the very beginning. Right? Speak what is appropriate for sound doctrine. He, he, Paul is already approaching with the assumption. 
Titus, you know what doctrine is. You, you've already learned it. Um, so now the encouragement is to continue to speak well of it and then to encourage other people to speak well of it. So, so you have this idea that, that it's not as if he's not prepared. He is prepared. How he prepared, we don't know. But he is prepared, and now he's being encouraged to continue. Which is one of the reasons why Titus is my favorite book, because it is a testament of the, the work of the Holy Spirit, working the, the ability that the Holy Spirit is able to use the word to, bring, to give uh, Christians, men and women, a doctrinal backbone. Titus is definitely a great example of someone who had a doctrinal background. He went to Jerusalem in the midst of a bunch of Jews who were pressuring him to be uh, circumcised. I'm sure they were quoting all kinds of Bible to him, but he stood his ground and said, no, I don't need to be circumcised. Because I already am. In Christ. In Christ. <laughs> yeah. In my baptism. or so, Yeah. So um, anyway, that's why I really like Titus. It's just uh, the he comes out of nowhere. He's not someone who gets his credentials because he spent so much time with the Apostle Paul, but he gets his credentials because he spent so much time in the Word, and the Word is able to con- convict him of, those, uh, of his convictions. So... The neat thing about doctrine is that it's not just uh, stuff about that we learn at the seminary. It's not just uh, book knowledge or head knowledge, but it is also uh, for us to live. And that, and that that's has he goes on in the rest of the paragraph as he's encouraging Tim, uh, Titus to talk to the different people in his congregation about how to live. Well, wouldn't we? And we have this in the seminary, and I know they're changing the name <clears throat> and. I don't want to open up another can of worms in this discussion, but but I want to re- reference back. As long to it. as they're gummy worms, I can't have gummy worms. <laughs> um, but but in in the seminary we have a course um, that's called practical theology, and and it's different than systematic theology. And those are really big words, dear listener, that you probably won't remember, and that's okay. You don't need to. But essentially, systematic theology is okay. Here's the brass tacks. Here's the book stuff, right? Here's the book. Here's we go back and we read like uh, the Book of Concord. We go back and we read the, um, um, you know the the Wauwatosa theology. We go back and we 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 look at at you know the different theologies of how people approached uh, um, looking at Scripture throughout all of the ages, and we we kind of wade ourselves through all of that and say which one's right, which one's not according to the Scriptures. That's systematic theology, and there's a system to it, and we follow the system. But then there's this thing called practical theology, and that that's kind of what I think you're referring to with what Titus is, is approaching here, which is how do we take all that stuff that we know and we kind of quote-unquote learned in the classroom, and how do we live this amongst our people, and how do we encourage our people to live it? Because the majority of our people, maybe they come and sit, well, hopefully they come and sit on a Sunday and they, they listen to the sermon. Um, a small fraction of those people then continue their education in the classroom on a, in, in a Bible study. But that's all what I would call systematic. There, there's a system to it, right? The, the, and I love the liturgy, but the liturgy is a system. It is a, it is a framework of which we find ourselves. God, God works within that framework, and we walk our way through it, so we come with, 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 with the different pattern of liturgy. But what do you do when you leave that? And that's really where Titus comes in and he says, and, and where Paul's words to Titus come in and say, okay, now now you have that and it's wonderful, but now it has to translate to something else. And this is where, and sort of our, our goal of our podcast too, um, that we have real life living faith. Um, so it's not just I'm sitting in the pew. It's not just I'm sitting in the classroom, but it's I'm taking what I've learned in the pew and I've taken what I've received in the pew and I received from the classroom. Now I'm applying it to my everyday life in every way that I am living. 
And so we have this. We have the we have the the encouragement. Older men. So let's talk about that. So <laughs> we have older men and we have women again coming coming into so so since Paul talked about it in 1 Timothy and now he's talking about it again in Titus could we assume there's a problem <laughs> they all have sinful natures <laughs> yeah the idea of uh yeah that I like that a point where what Paul says in Timothy which is a completely different group from it in a completely different area to what Paul says in Titus you can see lots of similarities between the two uh, some of the things that I gravitated toward this time as I was looking through Titus was... Because you're older? Because I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> but we were talking before how uh, the the pastoral epistles, like Titus is not, is my favorite book, and you said Second Timothy was your favorite book. And I said, you know, earlier in my ministry, I would say First and Second Timothy, Second Timothy probably would have been my more favorite book just because of how he speaks to a young pastor and... I was a young pastor. Then Titus speaks to me more now that I've been in the ministry longer. Uh, this is a guy who has um, some experience being in the ministry, but also is is a he's tasked with a lot of responsibility. And as 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 pastors, as we are faithful with our calling and faithful with the responsibilities given to us, uh, guess what? Uh, the Lord sometimes gives us more responsibilities. If we're faithful with little, He uh, makes us faithful with a little bit more. So with uh, Titus and the older women and older men and older women, the things that resonated with me is that he both speaks to both uh, men and women to be, um, in verse 2, it talks about men being temperate. And in verse 3, it talks about women saying uh, not enslaved to too much wine, which is essentially the same concept, the sober-mindedness. Not that alcohol is a bad thing, but just the idea of having your mind free from influence of some sort or being burdened. Uh, sometimes when people have a difficulty with alcohol or a difficulty with um, uh, substances, they can't think clearly and they can't think through their li- own lives clearly because they're burdened down with these uh, dependencies. Uh, and see, I I pick, and maybe this is just me, and and I I I agree wholeheartedly with with what you're saying and in, in the idea of temperance. But the two things that really stood out to me were were. Um, a little bit different. First of all, is for the elder, for the for the elder men, the idea of he says he 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 uses the words encourage the men to be, and then he you you already picked up on temperate, but he says encourage the men to be worthy of respect. So in other words, and I I thought that was kind of a neat concept in the sense of don't let them think just because they're old they deserve respect. <laughs> <clears throat> But but encourage them to to present themselves as ones worthy of respect. So what does that mean? That means they're living their life in faith in a such a way that people will say, I respect them. Not because they're old and I respect your elder. You know, yeah, I hear that over. Respect your elders. Well, be worthy of respect and I will respect you. Um, and that's sort of what's going on. You show that you are worthy of it, not just because of your age, but because of the the joy that you bring to living life in faith and because of the the example that you're living that I can step back and say, wow, this is an amazing person who has walked uh, many more years in faith than I have and, and has learned lessons that I have not. And and I respect that. Um, you know, just to say I'm older and therefore you must respect me, which is the natural tendency of the sinful nature, right? Um, um, to do those things. 
that's not what what Paul is saying to Titus. You know, encourage them to be worthy of respect. Um, encourage them to continue to live their life. I've often said to our adults, and I've often said to our our, our elderly generations in the church that that there is no retirement age to ministry and to working in the church. There is no retirement age. Now, sometimes we get that where where you get into an older congregation and the and the older generation will say, "Well, Pastor, I have been on the board for I don't know how many years, and it's time for someone else younger than me to step up and do the work." That may be so, right? That that may be a true statement. But here's what I usually find happening, and this is going counter to what uh, Paul is encouraging Timothy to encourage the elder elder men to be. But what I see happening in the church is. When I hear that, I'm hearing, Pastor, I don't want to do the job. I want someone else to do the job, but I want them to do the job the way I want them to do it. So I want to control from the background, but I don't want to do the job. I want someone else to do the job. In other words, but what, what Timothy or what, what Paul is encouraging Titus is in this idea of being worthy of respect is no, participate with them, be part of the lives of the young people. Live out this example with them. And if you want a young person to step up and do it, if you're not going to be there to take their hand and guide them through it to make sure that you are worthy of respect, then step away from it completely. There's a parallel to what you just said with the women, where the women were to teach the younger women to be um, self-controlled, pure, busy at home, kind, submitting to their own husband, and and so on. So there is a a parallel between the older men and the older women uh, to be reminded that you're still... uh, called to be active in the family of God, that there still is a role for you. You're not entitled to things, but you there still is a role that you still have value uh, in the church of God. The, the, the church of God is going to respect you because not because you are entitled to it, because out of the goodness of their own heart, they're seeing this is someone whom God has placed in my life who is older. Maybe I can learn from them. I'll give them respect, even though they don't they may or may not earn it, but I'm going to give them that respect because of who I am and what God has done for me, not necessarily because they are entitled to it. Right, and and not only that, but but just the idea, and and this not necessarily in the text, but just to just to add to the thought, um, dear elderly in in the church uh, who we love and we learn so much from, um, it, that does not mean do everything the way that I'm used to doing it, so I don't have to grow. It it means um, letting the younger learn from you and how you grew to that point because cause you grew to that point to where you are standing now. And, and those the youth have to do that as well. And how do they learn from you to do that? Um, that? That's all part of that. So it's not just getting your way and then saying, respect me because I get my way. It's, no, you know, let us learn at your feet to grow the way that you have grown. Um, and I respect that. Um, you brought it up, and I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to this now too, um, because it's with the elders and it's with the women. This idea of self control, and he hits home on this multiple times, and and throughout yeah, the three entire, times self control, yeah. all three groups get self control. Exactly, Ex- all three groups need self control. So, so maybe I'm gonna toss this to you. Um, why? I'm gonna I, I'm gonna I'm gonna play the role of the of the the trepid importer, uh, reporter, um, uh, dear pastor. Dave, why is Pastor Pastor Rudat? Rudat. Thank you. Uh, Okay. You don't want to be Pastor Dave. Um, (laughs) Pastor Rudat, why is self-control such a pinnacle of this living faith that Paul is encouraging Titus? That's a 
That's an awesome question because of the truth of the matter that we have a sinful nature that is fighting within us. Uh, we talked, uh, if you're in, if you're listening, well, actually, if you would have listened, here time travel, if you would have listened to your pastor preach on Ephesians 6, uh, this last, which for us is in the future, but for you it's in the past because of when this podcast is dropping. Um, but if you listen to Ephesians 6 or if you read Ephesians 6, you see that there is a struggle within each one of us a fight that's going on between us and the spiritual forces that are around us that are um, that are feeding off our human pride. And this is something that we need to really fight against all the time. Uh, and that's why we need this encouragement to be self-controlled. Just the idea of just because you think something or just because you feel something doesn't necessarily mean that that's true. Uh, it, it could be something coming from your sinful nature, which is a dark and sinful thing. Yeah, and, and, and that's a great answer, I think. Um, the realization that, that in Christ, the only person you can control is yourself. And I, and I want to make that caveat of in Christ, because without Christ, you can't even control yourself, right? Um, without Christ, you know, you are, you are uh, what is the word that, that Jesus uses? You are tossed about uh, in the sea, Right, so uh, every every little thing is 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 adjusting your course and adjusting your pattern um, because you're not self controlled and you can't be because self control is a gift of the spirit. Um, and I know some of you might be thinking, oh, no, no, that's not right, Pastor. I know people that are not in Christian who are very self controlled. Are they, or are they patient enough to wait before they unleash their unself controlled nature, or or their devious? To, to say, I'm going to curtail this so that this will happen. Whereas self-control is, is not, the, not the devious nature of, of postponing a reaction, but it's the, I'm never going to let this reaction see the light of day because it is not good and it's not wholesome. And, and the only person that I believe can do that is one who has the spirit um, and has been given the new man. Yeah, exactly. Jesus talks about this. Whoever wants to follow after me must deny themselves so i like what you, i like that you took off your reporter hat and put your pastor hat back on because but i can was, be pastor will <laughs> you can be pastor will <laughs> that doesn't bother you most people don't know my first name anyway so maybe it'll help <laughs> so yes uh deny themselves that's something that we have to say no to ourselves all the time and not just that we would uh suppress it for a time or not reveal it to the world for a time and keep it hidden and for us to say this is a th unclean thought this is an unclean action uh, this is something i'm going to fight against and say this is not what this is not going to see the light of day ever and that's and that's self control and i think that's why you see that throughout the scriptures many times where where um self control becomes the this really hinge point right for the christian life and and i know i've said it to my kids and i'm sure you've said it to your kids you know over and over and over again the only person you can control is yourself um, because they'll say, well, they made me do it, or they made me angry. They'd No, no, no. The yeah. only person you can control is yourself. They made you do nothing. You allowed them to do this or have this effect on you. Um, and as a Christian, we are better than that because of Christ. And we certainly need help in that department. We certainly need the Holy Spirit, which is why we need to be in the Word, why we need to be in worship, why we need to be receiving His gifts of the, the Word and the Lord's Supper, because this is an ongoing ba battle that we will fight Every day. And see, here, Will, I even brought up the Lord's Supper, and it's not even in the text. I know. I, 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 it's like I, you're a Lutheran pastor. <laughs> 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 I 
Now the only thing you could have brought up that would have made it better is baptism. But that's that's the next chapter because that's actually in the text. <laughs> uh, so not only does uh, Paul talk to Titus about how to encourage others, but he also gives encouragement to Titus himself in verse uh, 7 and 8 where he talks about, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good works in your teaching. Show integrity, seriousness, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that no one who opposes us will be put to shame because he has nothing bad to say about us. And the one question I have on the sheet, which I think we need to talk about because people could hear this and say, wait a minute, pastor made a joke in his sermon or pastor has a sense of humor. Uh, it says here to Titus that he has to be in all seriousness and so will do you mind fielding that or do you want me to yeah no you know i think we can both give our opinions on it and 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 i would say this this does not have anything to say about how you approach these topics um i think what we have here is is um by the spirit paul saying spiritual topics are serious and and they need to be confronted and they need to be talked about and they need to be done so appropriately but appropriately does not mean um, without levity, or appropriately does not mean that you can't have um, maybe a little bit of sarcasm in there. And 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 I will actually point you to Elijah, uh, who um, prophets of Baal. Um, sure. Possibly he's on the toilet and can't hear you. Um, was he taking it seriously? Yes, he was. <laughs> was he sarcastic? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> You know, I could I could point you to uh, many times where where the Lord um, is 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 very sarcastic with the disciples, um, especially in the cases of you of little faith. Um, you know, like where or almost he's shaking his head and smiling, like this is a this is the grandest joke ever <laughs> that you have seen this and you still don't don't get it. Um, there's many, many times where where the Lord shows Himself to have a sense of humor, and the Lord shows Himself uh, to 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 have some levity, um, because those are teaching tools as well. But it always comes back down to the serious nature of the topic, and I, and I think this is where I would I would approach that because I am a jovial person. I I like I like to to goof around. I like to have jokes. I like to bring a smile to someone's face. But the reality of sometimes the best way, and, and, and I'm a believer of this, sometimes the best way to confront a situation is to have the levity because we take ourselves far too seriously. And when we take ourselves far too seriously, we confuse we confuse sometimes things that are not as drastic and, and, and life-ending as, uh, as something as, oh, now life-ending. Like, I made a mistake. And was it a bad mistake? Sure, it was a bad mistake. Is it the end of your life mistake? It's not the end of your life mistake. And because of Christ, is it forgiven? Yes, because of Christ, it is forgiven. Um, and so I, I, I want you to, I want you to realize it for what it is, and let's get to Christ, and 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 then let's move on and repair this. Um, <clears throat> although I would not have the levity if I was standing at the bedside of a person who is an unbeliever and they're passing away, and I would not be joking about death. I would be be very much saying this is a very serious thing that you are confronting and it is the end for you and where you're going is not good and it's not funny and it's not a joke and it's not a little guy in a red suit with a pitchfork. Um, it is fiery, it is burning and, and it, and it will be forever. Um, 
totally different conversation than I would have with somebody who is a believer and he's sitting on his deathbed and I'm and I'm saying to them, you know what? The Lord has is just finishing up the flooring. He's 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 gonna hand you the keys to your mansion. Um and and he's coming to do that. Totally different. Am I serious? I am I'm hundred percent serious in both situations. I'm teaching a spiritual truth in both situations. But one of them is there's joy in in this your your race is run you're you're entering into your eternal home and the Lord is coming to get you and it's great because the Lord said I'm going to prepare a place for you and then when I'm done and I'm ready I'm going to come and get you um, as opposed to the other one which is I'm going to be very serious where you're going nobody I would wish that on no one I do appreciate how you're saying there is a time and a place for humor uh, there is. If you are known as a pastor who always makes jokes, or people come to hear you because you're a stand-up comic, then then you're that would be a question for us to say. Uh, he's not taking what he's doing very serious. He is, and and you mentioned that very very clearly. As a pastor, you want to prepare people for heaven. You want to prepare people for the the life to come, and that's a very serious thing. But how you do that might be a way of of trying to break the ice and say there are some things that are that we can be serious about, but something we can have joy in the fact that you're, you're going to heaven because of what Jesus has done. Um, so I, I really appreciate that having this discussion. I think it's good for our, our listeners also to talk about the seriousness thing. doesn't mean that your pastor can't have a sense of humor and that he can never crack a smile, but how he, how he, how he uh, ministers to you as your pastor, is he taking what he is doing serious, uh, seriously, or is, or is he not taking himself so seriously, right? Are you taking the job that God has given to you? That's serious. And you want to talk about the doctrines of going to heaven or hell? That's serious. Those are serious things. But uh, ourselves, maybe not so serious. So, so I guess I want to, and this is going to be more of a philosophical rant than than necessarily um, a textual one. But you know, when you deal with philosophy, they say that that, and you deal with with philosophy in the sense of of looking at the the why things are the way that they are. You would say that the concept of love is there because we know that there is an ultimate love. So we would say God ultimately loves. Therefore, we understand the concept of love. Um, there's the concept of beauty, aesthetics. Things are beautiful, and maybe they're a little bit different idea of beauty but things are beautiful because we know that there is an ultimate concept of beauty right and that that concept of beauty is 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 by the creator i would say that 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 same thing applies also to 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 joy and laughter and that there is joy in life there is laughter in life because ultimately we have a lord who by the psalmist says sits in heaven and laughs. <laughs> Granted, it's because of the futility of men trying to do things on their own, but that's <laughs> besides the yeah. point. But but we the the idea that that I mean, just for a moment, I don't know of anybody who would look at Jesus and when they picture Jesus on his time on Earth, walking around with a somber face and and never. <laughs> Never enjoying the time and, and, and cracking a joke or, or in, in, in sitting and smiling and, and, and having some levity with his and being a little bit snarky or, or sarcastic with his disciples because they're just not getting it. Um, and, and yet we, I think we see that. We see that throughout the scriptures that we have a God who enjoys laughter, a God who enjoys, to, the, enjoys joy. 
Um, and, and I think you as a preacher, me as a preacher, um, our fellow listeners as, as priests uh, of the same Lord, as part of the priesthood of all believers, as we share this joy, we can laugh, we can have joy, we can, we can make fun of ourselves and say, yeah, I'm kind of dumb at this, or yeah, I fell short at that. Um, and we can, also, we can also enjoy the levity that's in the scriptures and, 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 and in the doctrines of the church as we share them. And I think when we do that, and I'll get off my soapbox. I think when we do that, we show that we are lovers of this knowledge too. That that it is it is not just a faith that is based on book learning and faith on me regurgitating what I've heard, but it's a faith that I have lived with. It's a faith that I have internalized. It's a doctrine that that I make a part of my life and I've thought it through and I said I find joy in this and I can crack a smile at it. This is a real part. This is... Um we are authentic in our beliefs that this isn't something that we just put on on Sunday morning, but this is something that really means something to us. So, uh, the in our teaching, we are going to be serious. This is this is going to this teaching that we teach. This is this really means something to us, and it it it, it, it uh, encapsulates our entire being, even the side of us that likes to uh, find joy in life and and to find humor in life. Everything that we read about in the scriptures, this is this inhabits our entire being not just our serious side but our uh sense of humor as well yeah and life's far too serious um as it is when you deal with just the law and and so the gospel frees you to smile and and so let's move on because we have our trigger warning <laughs> trigger warning is coming uh he wants to you want to talk about things that trigger you okay uh verse nine we're talking about <laughs> slaves again uh, so we talked about slaves before, and there's some evidence here that the slavery in that Titus is dealing with, or the slaves that uh, Titus is dealing with, is a little bit is different, not just a little bit, but very different than the slaves in the United States and the slavery situation. And I say this because it seems like the slaves had the upper hand in in Crete; that they were the ones that were uh, they're stealing from their masters. Uh, they're arguing with their masters. It seems like it didn't seem like their masters could do anything for them. It's kind of like today where we have such a labor shortage that laborers can do just about whatever they want. And the owners mm-hmm. of the businesses are just like, just come into work, please. Just come into work. Make demands and then and then not live by those demands because you want to demand more since they caved. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually, I wrote myself a little note on the side because you had asked, you know, the slavery as as because we are it's a hot topic in the United States you know this whole idea of slavery and 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 I don't think the I honestly and and you can disagree with me all you I don't not saying you will but everybody else in listening can disagree with me all they want I don't think that that the idea of 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 what our nation thinks even United States slavery was is what was truly what slavery was I'm not saying that it was good it wasn't I'm not saying that but I don't think just because you had a couple of really, really bad experiences in the United States that all of them were at that level. That being said, I, I wrote myself a note in this that said I, I equate this more to like Joseph in Egypt in the book of Genesis kind of slavery as opposed to as opposed to um you know what? What we think you you know in the United States slavery where they were beaten down and they you know they were starved and they I I kind of which figured, did happen which did happen I'm not saying it didn't happen mm-hmm. but I'm I'm saying I'm I'm equating this more towards Joseph in Egypt slavery where there's a modicum of and I'm going to use this term loosely a modicum of 
freedom in the idea of of self-regulation. So like Joseph, he had the he had jobs that he had to do, he had jobs that he had to perform, and as long as he did them, he sort of had self-autonomy, right? Um, there was some self-autonomy that was included in that. And I kind of see that in this in this idea of what's going on. And maybe that's why uh, Paul is writing to Titus that that really you, the Christians who are come are able to gather around the word, even in their quote unquote slavery, because they have some self-autonomy, encourage them to to live with the the responsibilities that God has given them in the position of life that they are in. And and I think that's really where the pinnacle is. That that they have been given a responsibility, and the responsibility is to be trustworthy in in how they live their life, not not trying to get everything they can out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, the idea of living within your vocation and giving respect to those around you and the positions, even if they don't deserve that respect, is a reoccurring theme that we'll see in chapter three as well when he talks about government. Um, but you made you you and even in this podcast and, and last time we talked about slavery, you made the connection of where you would say that we we are still in slavery today, and you made the connection to work, how work is is become our new idea of slavery in the sense that we have to work to get money, and we and when we're at work, we have to do what our our. So you'd made sort of that loose connection. And would it be a fair assessment, though, that the words that Paul are sharing with Titus are the words that maybe we need to hear today, too, especially with the, the labor climate that we're in, in the sense that every person in labor is trying to get whatever they can out of their employer. They're trying to milk it for whatever it's worth, but not give more to the job to do that. Thanks for the memory. I think I was talking about banks, but maybe I, I'll have to re-listen you to may have, and. And and maybe I'm loosely connecting it throughout, but yes, yeah, I yeah. banks did come banks, up in that. Banks sound like they're more of the master, and we're more of the slave because we have to work for the bank, and our all of our, our not all of our, but our income goes towards the bank. We have some autonomy, which fits with the biblical or the Bible times uh, slaves that they had some autonomy, that they had some freedom, but not all freedoms. Um, but do you think that that? But but I, I I still bring it back to that point where where. I think the very words, you know, what are they doing? They're they're stealing, right? They are they're argumentative. They are um, demonstrating that they are not trustworthy, and and you're supposed to demonstrate that you are trustworthy. And, and I kind of see that today. I yeah. I, I, I kind of and maybe these words really are are good for us for for the your Christian. You know, I'm not saying hey, if you if you feel you need to ask for a wage because you're you're they're asking you to do more, great, but then do more. If you're going to get a wage, if you're going to get a wage increase then do more to be deserving of that wage increase because um, it's a give and a take. That's that's kind of what I'm seeing in Paul's encouragement here is that uh, you live out your vocation, you live out your faith in, in doing and being worthy of what you're being paid, being worthy of the position that you have. And and you're and if you're holding your employer or you're holding, in this case, in Titus, your, the, the master, over the coals and saying, I'm going to take you for everything you're worth um, in this position, I, I that's not that's not appropriate. And, and that's not what your calling is as a Christian. I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about uh, another trigger word, which is submit. Uh, that's in chapter 9, encourage slave to submit. Just a, that reminder of why do we place ourselves under other people, not because we're less 
or that we're not as equal as, but because we are all, this is just our station in life. It is has nothing to do with our worth, has nothing to do with whether one group of people is more important than the other. No, they're all the same. That's not the point. The point is we have these different callings, these different vocations, and in this calling, we, we as an equal person, place ourselves under somebody else uh, in, in our own mindset of we're submitting to this master, even though the master may not deserve it, even though the master may be a weak, it seems like from verses nine and ten, the, the masters here may may be like I was saying before that they were uh, not being the masters in the southern, the south, or in the U.S. history. Uh, our cultural knowledge of a master being someone with a whip and someone who is uh, just trying to uh, hurt the people underneath him or or look down on them or or to uh, view them as a property. But this is a master who is who seems like. You can do just about anything you want to him or her uh, as your master, and, and it doesn't matter. And so Jesus, so Paul, as he's writing to Titus, and he's encouraging Titus to have the uh, slaves in the congregations live in their vocation, that they would use their vocation to be a witness of their Christian faith. So I have a question for you, and and here's my question. And, and, and Which hat are you wearing, pastor hat, reporter I, hat? I am, I'm going to wear the reporter hat now. Okay. And my question is, is because I think, I think sometimes we throw out these words calling and we throw out the word vocation. And I know we've talked about it in the last couple of podcasts. We brought it up. But I know I have, I have oftentimes referenced outside of the idea of vocation, outside of the idea, I mean, wrapped within those ideas, I've used the word responsibility. So my question to you is, if we would replace submit, in this case, with responsibility, um, could you explain how that would better fit with maybe the idea of, because you were saying how they're equal, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that idea of submission does not, does not remove the idea of equality, but it removes the idea of calling. But now replace, re, replace that with the idea of responsibility. And I think maybe our... our Maybe our our listeners would get a better sense of what we're talking about. So encourage slaves to be responsible to their masters and everything. Is that what you're saying? Yes, and and re- replace that idea with a responsibility. Um, do you think maybe you could walk us through that? I'm trying to figure out why you'd want it, why you picked that word. Well, I I picked that word because let's let's put it back into the framework of the ministry. So <clears throat> the ministry we would say that the the call. Right, the call to do ministry is given to the congregation, um, and that is that is the overarching call to to preach, teach, and minister the sacraments. The congregation calls a single a, a pastor right to do that work upon their behalf. They give the pastor that responsibility. But let's say, like in our in our case at St. John's, we have teachers, and the congregation called our teachers and gave them the responsibility to do a portion of the overarching responsibility of the church, which is to teach the word to our kids. But their teachers are not given the same responsibility to administer the sacraments, to go visit the shut-ins, to, to uh, preach and teach uh, in, in the church itself. They're, done, that they're given the responsibility of in the school. So different responsibilities, not because they're any worse or not because they're any better, but because they're given a different responsibility. So in this case, I, I kind of view it as this. Masters are given a responsibility. What is their responsibility to 
that, that God has given to them to be good masters, to be in charge of these things. You as the servant have been given a responsibility, not carrying the same weight as the responsibility your master has to you, right? It's limited. And so submitting in that idea of submitting in the responsibilities that you've been charged with, uh, again, coming, I would come down to that, you know, more military idea of it than, than, than a, um, a subjection idea of it. Um, you know, you have a lieutenant colonel and you have a petty officer. The lieutenant colonel has more responsibility than the petty officer does. Doesn't mean that they're, they don't have the same gifts. Doesn't mean that they are, that they're both not capable. Doesn't mean that they're both not equal. It just means one is given more responsibility, even though he may not deserve it. He, he's given that responsibility. He takes a lot more pressure onto himself because of that responsibility than you as a petty officer. I, I think the response, when I hear responsibility to their masters and everything, sometimes I, I see a, um, a permanence there that I don't think is what Paul is talking about, where a permanence of like, this is always going to be your, your responsibility slave uh, to submit to your masters in everything. And I, 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 and maybe it's just my own understanding of looking at submission. That submission is something that seems to be temporary, which I think is what we're talking about with vocation, where vocation may not always last your whole life. It may not last uh, for your entire existence. It may be something that you only have in this station, in this life, for this uh, set of time. If, for example, in marriage, you have a vocation, husband and wife. It lasts until uh, the marriage bond is broken when either one Ideally, when either one dies, and then you are free from that vocation, you no longer are. But under you're that still vocation. responsible as a husband within that vocation, even though even though it's temporary. And and I would say that even as a pastor, because you're a pastor, because the church issued a call to you. So when you retire from being a pastor, you don't carry the same responsibility because you're no longer a, a pastor, and and the and the congregation no longer gave you that responsibility. I'm not saying that there isn't a shift in vocation. I'm not saying that you can't have a shift in responsibilities. I can't say that. I'm not saying that you can't in, like in, in Roman culture, you can go from a servant and, and you could become a citizen, which means that your responsibility has shifted throughout the time. I'm not saying that there isn't a, the, that what I'm saying is, is the idea of submit, of, of submitting, carrying responsibility gives a more grand idea of this is not a submitting in the sense of forced labor. It is not a submitting in the sense of someone less. It is submitting in the sense of you are not called to do what someone else is called to do. You're not given the responsibility to do what someone else is given the responsibility to do. It doesn't mean that can't change. It just means you're not there. Sure. So it's giving some respect to the idea of the slave putting themselves under somebody else, that this is a, a, it's meant to build them up and say this calling that you've been given is a good one. It's not a, uh, it's not like uh, when your kids are giving uh, chores around the house and some chores are more esteemed than others. And once the kids get older, then they get to do the fun chores. But when they're younger, maybe they have to do the, the chores that aren't so pleasant where they just, they can't wait to move up. But now when they're in the position that they're in or the chore that they have to do, they say, oh, this is a, this is a, you know too demeaning for me to be whatever the chore is. Is and that what you're saying? I am. You're and then, trying then, to help and, our hearers to, to right. say that this is a putting your 
the idea of a vocation should be one where we would, re- as Christians, and this would be unique to Christianity, would it not? Because the rest of the world says there are some tasks and some vocations, some uh, positions in life that are better, more important than others. The world might look at the lieutenant colonel and say, that person is a better person than the person that is a lieutenant. But Christianity looks at uh, the, the the different callings in life, that how can I serve my neighbor in this way, that each of those roles is, has one of importance because we can be a witness to Christ and what God has done to us in all of those roles. There's not just one where you would say the pastor is the only guy that can really show forth what it means to be a Christian because he's a pastor. No, you can show forth in being a Christian by being a child, or you can uh, show forth what it means to be a Christian by, um, in Titus's case, being a slave. And and I also would say that it, that it's very Christian in the idea of this responsibility because when it when it all comes back down to it, the master is still responsible for the house. So if the servant doesn't do it, guess who has to? The master still does. So let's go back to your example of of the household with the kids, right? And they have these chores to do. If the kids don't do the chores, guess who gets to do them? Dad. When the kids leave the house and they're no longer there to do the chores, mom and dad still do the chores. So it's not as if that they're the responsible, the ultimate responsibility, the greater, you might call it a greater responsibility is, is, is given to those who, who are in this position of calling of being in charge. And they then dole out those responsibilities to lower percentages down as it goes. But ultimately it comes back to they're still responsible. And and I see this I see this in ministry I see this in in the way that God treats man um, in the household um, you know when when we go to Paul and in Romans and he says it was by one man he doesn't he doesn't say it by one woman who fe- all people fell in no it was the responsibility of the man to watch out for his wife not because she was incapable of watching out for herself or not because she wasn't smart or whatever it wasn't her responsibility it was his and so who takes the blame he does. I find that throughout all the pages of Scripture, the idea of responsibility, the idea that that God has given, not because they're incapable, because they're all equal in his sight, but he has given certain responsibilities, um, and those shift, and those flux, uh, fluctuate over time. So as long as responsibility doesn't mean the same as uh, importance. It, just said it this does not. It does not. So, and yeah. not the same as importance at all. All right. They're all important. Just some more than others. <laughs> Just had to throw that in there. Just tried to twist, twist the knife. He's joking. Um, I, I have in my notes that in verse, verses eleven to fourteen, this is probably important stuff to talk about because this is the good stuff in Titus chapter. I two. thought this is all been pretty good stuff. <laughs> this is some gold. more than others. This is gold. <laughs> some more than others. Uh, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. It trains us to re- reject ungodliness and worldly lust and to live self-controlled, again, there's self-control again, upright and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope that is the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are his own chosen people, eager to do good works. Yeah, the good good news about the grace of God appearing and and uh, causing us to be what we were not, um, to be people who are self controlled, upright, and godly. And, and I, I there's a couple of things, and I circled I circled a couple of things because I think they're really keys in that statement. First of all, in in the beginning of verse twelve, that idea of it. Um, in, in other words, God's gospel 
right? The gospel of goodness of Christ, of what he has done, trains us. So um, I don't know what's good until I saw good from God. <laughs> I don't know what was bad until God said, bad, <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> and, and so it trains me. It trains me to recognize what is good and, and what is not, what is ungodly and what is godly. Um, and, and it trains me to say, this is a good thing for me to, to crave, which is, that uh, which is is in the Lord, and not to lust after the bad things that are going to be just self destructive. And then I guess um, I, I also said in verse fourteen, I circled. Uh, he gave himself for us, and then I circled to redeem. On um, that idea of of the purchasing back, who did he purchase us back from? He purchased us from sin, death, the power of the devil. Right? Who did he pay? He paid his father for it. Um, because we owed God for that. Uh, just that idea, and, and, and those are, I know, we, tr- we live in a society where we don't like big theological terms, and redemption is a big theological term. It's an awesome term. It is an awesome term, and that's why I'm, I, I want to highlight that, because the idea of being bought back, right? And I always use the, when I, when I teach it to the, the confirmation kids, I use the idea of a coupon, right? You, you, you get a coupon, you hand the coupon in for something, right? You give something to get something. Um, and that's and I'm not equating Jesus to a coupon, but but it's that idea that I helps us understand what was what was needed to buy you back. What was what was needed to pay for you? And the and the the answer is the blood of God was needed to pay for you. How and and I think this is textual, but you can say it's not, and I will stand corrected. How much more value could you find? in the world than to realize you are worth the blood of God. Yeah, yeah, um, there isn't any. I, I think when we talk about the second article of the Apostles' Creed, uh, his holy, precious blood, and just spending time with that with your catechism kids and say, you know what, kids, uh, the most important thing in the universe is something that is holy and precious and blood, uh, one human being's blood, his life, is the most important thing in the universe because there isn't any anything else that's holy and there isn't anything that is God in human flesh. That's the rarest element in the universe is Jesus and God gave that so that you would be in, with him in heaven. That and I, I loved what you just said about how how much more how much more important can we feel than have God give his most precious thing that he could find in the universe for you. Well and and then I just want to take it a step further. Um, we live in a society where, where, where we want to be very, it's all about me, right? It, 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 the, the, this, we live in a society and it's just the natural tendency because this simple nature is inverted upon itself. So I, I want to take center stage. Then I love how through the spirit, Paul takes that onus away from us. He takes us away from, from focusing on just self because he could have said, um, God died for you. Is that a true statement? Yes. I'm not denying that statement. That is subjective justification, we would call it, that that it is given to you. But I love how the Spirit, in a very beautiful way, takes that away from you and, and reminds you that it's not just about you, but it's about the community, the community in which God places you. Because what does he say? He says, to purify for himself, not a person, but a people. Not a one, not, not a one-shot you, but a uh, a you with a, a bunch of other yous, right? And I'm not talking about lambs, <laughs> although that's a really good analogy. <laughs> 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 you know, not E W 
E, but but the, the U, the Y O U, um, and and then a bunch of U's come together as a people, as someone chosen, a chosen um, people that that are now special and set apart, and 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 so we have here this beautiful idea of of how God chooses the separate person, but He doesn't keep them a separate person. He brings them into a a church, and 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 He says, "This is my church." And so there's an importance, and I'm going to use this as a, as we're coming to the end of our podcast time, I'm going to use this as a plug to say, come to church. Because God does not make you to be a, a believer on your own. He makes you, as his child, to be part of his chosen people together in sharing this and working. I like how the Apostle Paul doesn't just talk about how we're saved from something, but we're saved for uh, we're, we're, we're saved from the lawlessness, we're saved from the ungodliness, we're saved from the worldly lusts, but we're saved for himself, that we would be his people, his chosen people, um, eager to do what is good, uh, that we're going to be his lights, we're going to be something different that the world has never seen before. Christians who actually love uh, one another and love others. Uh, Christians who actually serve one another and serve others. That w- people that don't think of themselves that are so inwardly focused, like you said before, the sinful nature being completely inverted, but people who are verted uh, outward, outverted, <laughs> extroverted, maybe not extroverted, uh, but averted outward towards others to say, how can we help you and how can we show love to you? Yeah, and and I, I think just to, to sum up our, our time together here in the last three minutes, I would just remind, um, uh, give the reminder that Paul himself gives, which is, Keep telling people these things and and take home. Let no one ignore you. That's actually my favorite verse. I thought you were going to pick that one. So I, I was, was like, not. I, I like the doctrine one. <laughs> That's my favorite verse. Let no one ignore you. And I see a double meaning in that. In that, well, he's encouraging Titus, uh, when you are serious in your doctrine, you're going to actually be confronting people in that and that they have to, be, they have to address uh, the seriousness of their status before God. Whether Titus uh, did it with a smile on his face, whether he had humor or, or whatnot, let no one ignore you. But then also on the plus side, uh, let no one ignore you because you are a light for the world as you are living freely in a real life that is lived in Christ.